Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Morning, Harvest. Julie, thank you for reading the scripture for us this morning, and it's really good to be together. I know we've made some changes to the way we are delivering our Sunday services. Uh, Thanks for rolling with the punches and making the adjustments, and we're really hoping that these changes will help us have a feeling of really being together on Sunday mornings, even though we are church physically scattered right now. Julie read from Psalm 139, and I preached from Psalm 139 back in December of 2011, and back then I focused mainly on verses 23 to 24 and on the invitation uh, to God to come and search our hearts and examine us so that we would grow in self-awareness and self-understanding. And I will add a link to that sermon in the recap email if you're interested in catching up on that one. But today, I'm just going to focus on the verses that Julie read, verses 1 through 12. And I want to key in on two powerful statements that King David makes in this song, this poem, um, from which he drew a great deal of comfort, especially during hard times. The first of those statements is so simple. It's, you know me. And, you know, theologians talk about the quality of God, that he is all-knowing. They call that omniscience. And this statement, you know me, is really just God's omniscience made personal. God knows everything. He's all-knowing, and that includes that he knows you and me. Isn't it ironic that Uh, When we usually speak the words, come on, you know me, we're usually saying them in our self-defense to somebody who clearly has demonstrated they don't know us because they've either made an assumption or an accusation that is so counter to our the way we see ourselves, the way we believe we are, that we're pleading our case saying, come on, you know me. You know, it's frustrating when you think you've made yourself known and other people have mischaracterized you or misunderstood you. And I think every one of us has done that to others, and every one of us has had that experience in our lives. David begins in verse 1 with a simple statement, and he says this directly to God in the most personal language. You have searched me, Lord. And remember, all caps, L-O-R-D, that's the personal name of God, Yahweh. So he says, you have searched me, Yahweh. And you know me. Those three simple words, you know me, really say a lot. Because when David says that, and when we speak of God knowing us, he doesn't know us the way people know us, where they know things about us. God knows us the way God would know us. He knows everything about us. In fact, you know, we've had people say things to us like, I know you better than you know yourself. That's a lie. No human being can actually say that to you, but God can. God actually does know us, and He knows us even better than we know ourselves. In fact, God is the only person in the universe who will never misunderstand or mischaracterize us. And that's really comforting to think about. In verse 2, David writes, You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. What David's getting at is that God knows us, but his knowing us is not a surface knowledge. He knows everything about us. And I, I don't want to be um, 
tedious in the way I treat this. It's pretty self-explanatory. But he, he says that he knows our every movement. When I sit and when I stand or rise, he knows our thoughts even from a distance. Uh, it says, you know when I'm going out and lying down. I think that could refer to a couple things. It could refer to he knows our public life and he knows our private life. He knows what we do when we're active. He even knows what we do when we're dormant or asleep. And he knows every word you're going to say even before it's on your tongue. Even before you speak it, he knows what you're going to say. Now, there are people who think they know us that way, but um, the truth is only God knows you and knows me with that total personal knowledge. One of the deepest longings of the human heart is to be known, fully known, truly known. And we have such a desire, and I know this is a universal desire because when we're isolated, when people misunderstand or mischaracterize us, it's, it's universally painful. I don't know anyone who likes being misunderstood or mischaracterized. So one of our deepest yearnings is to actually be fully and truly known. In order to be known, though, you have to put yourself out there, and that's almost always risky and costly. It's a lot of work to have relationships with anyone. It's a lot of work because it requires pursuit, it requires risk, it requires some investment of time and energy, but because it's such a core yearning of our hearts, there is great reward, great benefit in actually being known by someone who trusts us and we trust them. When we spend time with people who know us best, and I can't stress this enough, people who actually truly know us, who are for us, who are with us, who have made the effort to behold us and learn us, when we spend time with people like that, a couple important things happen. Um, and, and it's really like this. When you spend time with someone who really knows you, it's like sitting across the table from someone who's holding up a mirror to, to you so that in the way that they see you, you grow in seeing yourself. Now, a couple important things happen, or a few important things happen, when we are spending that time with someone who really knows us well. Uh, the first of those things is it reinforces some sense of identity in us. You see, how others see us um, helps us see things in ourselves. And this works both ways. If they only see and voice negative things, it becomes like a curse or a weight on us, and it's very defining of us. It just keeps reinforcing, you're worthless, you're a loser, you're whatever, and it really has a damaging effect on a person. And I don't think any of us need instruction on that. Many of us have experienced that personally, so uh, the case is already made. It's destructive to reinforce negative things um, things that speak death into another person. But I want to focus on the other side of that. There is tremendous power when another person sees the good in us and they speak it out. Because when they do that, it touches something deep in us and it reinforces the desire to see ourselves that way and to be more like that in the future. I think that's the power of a true, genuine compliment, is that the person is not just fluffing our feathers, but they're seeing something real in us and they're speaking it to life. And when they do that, I mean, just think about the last time you heard a true compliment to you. When you hear something like, you know, you're one of the most encouraging people I've ever met. When you hear words like that, 
What does that do to you? Does it make you think, well, that's the end of that then. I'm going to start being discouraging. Of course not. What it evokes in you is, you know what? That is who I am. It's who I want to be. And it reinforces the desire to be that forever. It also um, reveals something to us about ourselves when we spend time with someone who knows us well. We see things in us sometimes um, that, that, that we didn't see before because the other person sees it. You know, they might say something like, wow, um, you're really strong, you know that? And you, maybe you've always thought of yourself as weak, but another person looking at you and really knowing you and saying, you're stronger than you realize, that speaks life to you. It's a revealing of something that you didn't even realize was in you. Or maybe it's something that's kind of hidden. It's subtle, it's nuanced. And you've always felt like that's part of who you are, but you never thought other people could see that at all. And when someone else looks hard enough at you to see those deep, nuanced things about you, things that you're really proud of, things that you're happy are true of you, but someone else actually saw it, and it really does speak life to you. It, it reveals something, and it's very life-giving when that happens. You know, think about somebody saying something to you like, you, you have a real gift for sensing the hidden pain in other people. I think that's wonderful. And maybe... In, in that statement, it's revealed to you that is actually something that God has given me, and I want to use that more and more and more. And let me just give you a quick third thing that happens. When we spend time really in relationship with someone who knows us well, there's a refinement that happens. You know, Sometimes um, a person will see in us, and through their eyes will finally get it, that there's a flaw in us that needs to be addressed. Now, I don't think I've ever met someone who, who would argue publicly, I'm perfect and I don't need any kind of refinement. I'm great just the way I am. No one would say that, and yet we are all universally defensive when anyone points out a flaw in us. So I, I don't know what that means about us, but we're trying to have it both ways. We want to be so ready to admit we're not perfect, but we behave as if we are, because as soon as someone points out a flaw, immediately the guard comes up. And I, I'm not saying that as if I'm an exception to that rule, but when someone, and, and here again, I want to emphasize, I'm talking about people who know you well, who've put in the work to think about you, pray for you, really listen to you and study you. Those people are valuable resources in our lives. And when someone like that says something to you or sees something in you that is not flattering, it's important to pay attention. Now, that doesn't mean that they're flawlessly right and they're always correct, but you can't dismiss that kind of thing from someone who knows you too quickly. It might be something that God wants you to hear. You know, let me give you an example. Not too long ago, uh, it was revealed to me that some people around me are intimidated by me. And if I'm being honest, like immediately upon hearing that, it wasn't even defensiveness. It was almost like I just rejected it out. I'm like, get out of here. There's no way that could be true of me because in my own self-view, that's not how I think of myself. And yet I had to pause because the people revealing these things to me are people I love and trust and spend a lot of time with. These are not people I, I see every week at the grocery store or something. These are people that I see often. And if they're observing this in me or experiencing that from me, then I can't dismiss it too quickly. I'm not going to pretend it was enjoyable to give that airtime in my heart, but um, when I really brought that before the Lord and said, what am I hearing? What am I seeing? Help me. It was revealed to me that there are issues that I have that I have to work through 
regarding the way that I use power in its many forms. Now, I'm trying to be transparent here and say that was really a rough thing for me to see in myself. But only someone who knows me well could have been used by God to reveal that flaw in my own character, in my own nature. Either you're perfect or you have flaws. You can't have it both ways. And if you know you're not perfect and you have flaws, then when a trusted voice speaks out those flaws, don't get defensive. Maybe you can't help how you feel, but lower your guard enough to say, God, are you speaking here? And if so, then through this trusted friend, I want that mirror to be held up to me. Now, that's so far I'm mainly talking about human beings as an illustration of this principle. Even when we spend time with human beings, sinful, flawed, imperfect human beings, but people who know us well and made an investment in us, there's tremendous benefit. We grow in self-awareness and understanding, and our identity is formed through those relationships. How much more, then, is it beneficial to us to spend quality time with God? Because God doesn't just know stuff about you. He knows everything about you. And unlike other people, the mirror that God holds up to us is never warped. It always provides an accurate picture. I mean, have you ever looked at the mirror and didn't like what you saw back and assumed the mirror was broken? You know, most mirrors don't lie. Uh, And so with God, he's saying, look, the good I see in you, I want you to know it's really there. You don't need to be insecure about the things that God speaks into you. If he tells you this is who you are, it's because it is who you are. He saw it. He made you that way. He's proud of it. And it should keep growing your identity. And if he sees something in you that needs work, There's no point in trying to run from God or deny what He says. He is always for you. And that's the great thing about God's mirrors. You never have to suspect He has an agenda or He's trying to manipulate you. You never have to wonder if God's on your side or not. Let me give you a second point. He makes a second statement in this song that I think is so profound. He says, you are there. You know, theologians describe the ever-present quality of God as omnipresence, meaning he's everywhere, all present, ever present. And this really is a statement that if God is everywhere, that also includes at all times that he's with me. I'm included in that. This is where the omnipresence of God becomes very personal. Look at verse 7. David asks an interesting question. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence. He's really talking about God's presence here. He's not suggesting that he has a reason to run from God, but what he's saying in a poetic, hypothetical way is even if I try to run from you, what good would it do? I don't know why, but I, as I was reading this passage, this section of, the, of the, the chapter, I kept thinking about those police helicopters that you see sometimes on movies or in the news that are like flying over a city and some dude is trying to run from yard to yard getting away from the police on the ground. But that eye in the sky, that police helicopter shining a light right down on the guy, keeping him illuminated no matter where he goes. I'm just thinking, if you're trying to run, that helicopter's spotlight is probably the most annoying thing on the earth to you. It won't leave you alone, and there's really no way to run from it. You hide behind a bush, and the police are going to walk right past you, but man, that light is just, it's lighting you up. 
And I don't know why, but I thought of that. Like if you're trying to flee from someone who knows everything and is everywhere, it's always going to be a futile effort. But David's not trying to run. All he's saying is, it, you are so present everywhere that even a person who's motivated to flee from you cannot succeed in doing it. And then he goes on to catalog the, the many ways that a person might try to distance themselves from God. He talks about altitude. In verse 8, he says, if I go up to the heavens, the highest thing a person could imagine in the ancient world, you're there. And if I make my bed in the depths, which is literally Sheol or the Jewish underworld, you are there. In other words, no matter how high or how low you try to go, uh, you can't run from God. Sometimes we feel this convicting power of the Spirit on us and we think, if I just become super religious, super committed, super whatever, I can kind of run from that. You can't, even if you go high, you can't run. If you try to run from God by just going, then forget it, I'm just not going to try and I'm going to be as whatever I want to be, even then, you can't run from the fact that something deep down inside you won't release you from the fact that God is real and He's there. No matter where you try to run. If you try to, look at verse 9. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, in other words, if I go as far east as possible. Or, if you're in Israel, the sun would set on the far horizon over the Mediterranean Sea to the west. He said, if I settle on the far side of the sea. In other words, if I go as far east or as far west, never mind just altitude, if I go horizontally as far away as I can, it doesn't matter where I go. He says the same thing. You are there. So David reasons in verses 11 and 12, maybe he doesn't have to run anywhere physically. Maybe he can just turn off the lights, hide in darkness. But even if he turns off the lights and tries to find the cover of darkness, God just flips on his night vision goggles and he lights up the night to become like the day. In in other words, even if you think you've hidden successfully from God, your privacy settings are on or your, your door is locked, you think no one will see you, there's never a time when you're successfully hidden away from the view of God. So we can't outrun God. We can't hide from God. That's really one of the practical consequences of the omnipresence of God is that He is everywhere. He is literally everywhere. You know, this COVID quarantine has made the concept of omnipresence kind of relatable to most of us. I realize that some of you are stuck at home alone, and we definitely um, empathize with you. It's got to be hard enduring this by yourself. But there's also empathy to be given to, um, to people on the other side of that, because some people are surrounded by people, but that's not always a good thing. You know, wherever you go in your house, someone else is there. You, you go to the kitchen you are there. You go to your bedroom, you are there. You go to the family room, you are there. Wherever you go, people are everywhere and you can't get away from it. And so sometimes uh, this feeling of like the ever presence of another person isn't always a comfortable thing. You know, one of the most painful things is when you're surrounded by people and yet you still feel in some ways profoundly alone in that experience. Love and a sense of belonging, they are are one of the greatest core human needs. After um, physiological needs like food, air, and water, after uh, the most basic safety needs, the the most pressing need after that is a sense of love and belonging with other people. So 
it's really painful when there's no shortage of people around you, but you still don't feel a sense of belonging and a sense of love, of being known and of being with. That's really what David's describing here. And for some of us, we haven't found that with human beings. And I don't want to just gloss over that. That's a tremendous pain that some people are bearing. That they are surrounded by people, but they don't have people. And if that describes you, I want you to know that God, above all others, understands what you're feeling. He understands what that is like, and He alone, without you needing to describe it in words, understands exactly, and in fact feels, the pain that you're feeling. For those of us trapped in house, when's, when's the last time you got to experience being alone, uh, of having the whole house to yourself? For many of us, that's a distant memory. And I guess being surrounded cooped up in a house full of the family you love even, uh, one of the things that's revealed to us is how we feel about the ever-presence of other people is a pretty good indicator of the truth of our relationship with them. If the ever-presence of other people is increasingly becoming suffocating, annoying, um, anger-producing, it's revealing something about the core of your relationship with that person. And David's able to say, after describing what feels to me like a suffocating level of presence, wherever I go, there you are. God, I can't run from you. If I go high, low, far east or west, if I shut off the lights or if I hide under a a cover of darkness, no matter where I go, I can't escape you. And most people read that and they think, that sounds awful. How would you like to be involved in a relationship with a being that is with you every second of your existence. And yet, instead of saying, boy, God, could you give me a break? David's surprising reaction is, I love it. It is such a source of comfort to me that you are there. I was just thinking about that police helicopter again and thinking, what if I'm not a criminal running away because I'm trying to flee, but what if I find myself in a dangerous place full of threats and darkness is a threat to me? Darkness is something that's scary. And now I have this vehicle that never leaves me and lights up my entire area with welcoming, comforting light. Think how differently you'd feel about that police helicopter then. And I I really believe that's what David is describing, is the way we feel about the ever-presence of God has a lot to do with the way we feel about God himself. If we're trying to dodge him, if we feel like he's the source, the cause of our pain or our problems, or because his presence reminds us of the flaws in us and we're trying to run away from that, then yes, his ever-presence is a negative experience for us. But do you also know on the other side of that, that the presence of God is a source of tremendous comfort and security? It means that he's the only person who will never leave you or abandon you. He is always with you. He is always for you. And He alone, above all others, has the actual power to keep you firmly in His hand. I believe knowing this strengthens us to face the world. I love the promise that God gives to Joshua as he embarks on the lonely journey of leadership after his mentor Moses has died. God says to him in Joshua 1.9, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let me uh, close the message in this way. A couple of weeks ago, I found out I was actually eligible for the stimulus money. I didn't know that before. I thought I wasn't eligible. So I, I entered my uh, banking information, and then I waited, and I waited, and I waited. Now, normally, I don't care about money, but we just had three major home repairs during this quarantine, and it stressed us out because they were expensive home repairs that we couldn't avoid. And so I checked the bank every day to say, has that stimulus money come in? And every day I check and nothing. And at one point I was like, maybe this is all a scam or something. Maybe it doesn't actually go out to anybody. And so I was tempted every day to give up hope that that money would come in. But then I started asking other people at church. At every conversation, I was like, hey, just out of curiosity, did you get stimulus money? And every person I asked said, yeah, I got it. I got it like right away. So I was like, okay. Now, it's annoying when you haven't had the experience and everyone else has had the experience. And you're like, am I being singled out? But here's the other effect of that. Hearing about their experience helped keep my own hope alive. If it's happened for all of them, that means that it is possible even for me. And maybe it hasn't happened as quickly as I wanted to, but because I hear so many testimonies that it in fact does happen, it anchors my faith in such a powerful way. I'm not saying to you that um, David's experience is automatically going to be ours. Some of you have pursued after God and done everything you can to pursue after people, and nothing seems to have worked, and you remain isolated and alone. And I'm not going to explain that away or tell you you just didn't try hard enough. It's very possible that you gave every effort and God was honored by it. But it's possible, it's just possible, that one of the things God is trying to grow in you is perseverance and patience and hope. God is not a God who delights in hiding from us, who doesn't know us or want to know us. He really is motivated to have a relationship with us. But there are times when what He's trying to stretch in us is a persevering hope. And you can't grow in hope unless you're forced to wait. You can't grow in patience unless you're forced to wait. And we'll never grow in perseverance if everything we try works easily. I don't say that to chastise you or to discourage you, but to call you to press on and not give up. There are a lot of people that hanging on to them is futile and painful But with God, I can give you this promise. I have no timetable for how He's going to work in your life, but I can give you this promise. He wants to have a relationship with you. And hanging on to hope for a relationship with God is always worth it. It's important that you begin with that relationship with God because if you don't go to Him first, then you will enter all your human relationships with an outsized emptiness that other people could never really fill. But if you go first to God and He fills you, then everyone else can be interacted with and enjoyed because you know that they're just topping off the tank that God has already filled. When we're armed with an identity forged by a relationship with God, something powerful happens. We can brave the dangers of human relationships. We can endure when people... uh, misunderstand us, mischaracterize us, because they no longer have the power to undermine what God has already told us we are. The identity which God speaks to us is bulletproof. It is, in fact, in truth, who we are, and no one else's opinion can shake that. 
And because of that, because we know from the voice of God himself that I am beloved, I am precious, I am forgiven, I am worthy, I am loved, I am unique, I am all those things which God has spoken to me that I am. It takes away from others the power to undermine that unshakable sense of identity which God himself has spoken into the core of us. We're then free to enjoy other people without being desperate for them to define us. I believe God wants to give you that power through a relationship with Him by being able to say, God, you know me, and because you know me, I now truly know myself. And armed with the security that comes from the presence of God, from fellowship with God, it allows us to endure even the storms of isolation and abandonment by others. This will be for us, every one of us, a consistent relationship or experience over the course of our lives. People will come near, and then they will draw away. They will come near, and they will fall away from us. The one person who will remain a constant in each of our lives is God Himself. It may not always feel that way, but I'm telling you that that's the power of theology, is there is the truth you feel, and there is the truth you must know and believe. God doesn't always feel close or present, but He is always close and present. And I'm not scolding you when I say that. I'm telling you, this is a great source of hope. And we draw security from knowing that God is always present with us. There's never a moment when we're abandoned or alone. And enjoying that fellowship with God, His ever-presence in our lives, frees us then to enter human relationships and enjoy as much or as little as others are willing or able to give us. We're not desperate for the fellowship of other people to define our well-being. Because even if the whole world walks out, there is one who will always remain with us. I'm praying for our church that even though you may not feel the nearness and intimacy of God, you will be able to believe in faith that in fact He is there. He does know you. He is with you. He is for you. And He loves you deeply. As Audrey leads us in a closing song, if you just need to sit and be ministered to by that song, I invite you to do that. You don't have to sing along. You can allow the words of the song like a prayer to wash over you. If you need to say something to God, uh, I want you to feel free to do that during this time. And if it ministers to you to just sing along, uh, then wherever you are, sing it out. And let the song be a reminder to you that He knows you. He is with you, and He is for you. Please join me as I give you a benediction. And a benediction is not just a closing prayer. It's a word of blessing over you. May God help you to say in faith and in experience, God, you know me, and God, you are there. Maybe today you don't feel it, But these words remain true. God does know you. And He knows you in the way you yearn to be known. And God is there, whether He feels close or far. Receive this in faith. God is present with you. And He desires a relationship with you. If you're worn out, don't give up. May God give you an identity 
forged strong by the things He says are true of you. May He give you an unshakable security from knowing that no matter what happens in this life, you are never for a moment alone or abandoned. He is always with you. May these two truths give you great strength and comfort, real strength and comfort to face life, to face human relationships, and to face the crazy world we've been called to live in this week and beyond. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, I know it's a new experience being here on YouTube using this uh, live stream premiere feature. Um, At this time, we're going to release you. If you really need to go, you can go, but we're encouraging you, strongly inviting you to join us for a short breakout rooms via Zoom. Um, The email that was sent out should include a link to take you quickly to the breakout rooms. And once there, you'll have a chance to say hello and see everybody's faces. And then after a few minutes of that, we're going to assign you into a smaller breakout room where you're going to get a chance to just share a little bit and to catch up with one another and have a brief time of prayer. Those breakout rooms should last between 15 to 30 minutes. And I I really believe they're going to be a blessing to us and help us feel a sense of togetherness as a church family. So even if you're tempted to just sign off, if you're able to make it work, I want to strongly encourage you to join us. We're not going to put that link out here on YouTube because for security reasons, we want to make sure that the Zoom sessions remain within our church family. And so please consult the email or the text message you should have received with a link to that and enjoy your time together. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.